everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. This is your new Comics Wednesday episode for August 24th, 2022. Sorry, it's coming out a day late. Uh, released last week's this week also. We really are trying to get back on a regular schedule. Things have just been insane with back to school and day jobs and all that kind of stuff. So that being said, got a ton of books to talk about today. So I'm going to dive right in, starting with Minor Threats uh, from Dark Horse. And I should say one more thing. If you're looking for the DC books, go check out the DC Spotlight from Tuesday. Keep in mind there are spoilers. Uh, we dive deep into the story and the um, story beats and whatnot. This will be spoiler-free. Uh, we'll just talk about the books in general. So, yeah, Minor Threats, number one. This is from Patton Oswalt and Jordan Bloom as the writers. Uh, that name sounds familiar, Patton Oswalt. Yeah, the actor, the comedian, Patton Oswalt, uh, who's a huge comic fan. The art is by Scott Hepburn. The colors are by Ian Herring, and letters are by Nate Topikos of Blambot. So uh, this same writing duo did the... Um, Modoc Head Games miniseries for Marvel, and I really, really enjoyed it. And they also wrote for the uh, cartoon on Disney Plus, the Modoc cartoon, which is really, really funny if you haven't seen it. Uh, so that's kind of the reason that I paid attention to this when it was coming out because I enjoyed that Modoc series so much. I, I have to say, I was a little surprised, but in a good way. There's not, I wasn't necessarily expecting humor. Um, but, you know, Patton Oswalt and Jordan Bloom and the MODOK series did have plenty of, of humor. This was much darker than I expected, but I really enjoyed it. I was very, very impressed with it. Um, the art is solid, bit of a throwback. Same thing with the colors from Ian Herring. It feels a, like a bit of a throwback. Um, bright colors, but it's still kind of a dark story. So basically, when the title Minor Threats it refers to kind of C and D-list villains. The main character is this. Um, this woman who grew up as uh, kind of a, a supervillain, her mom was a thief, uh, didn't have superpowers. She does. And uh, it's only ever caused her grief, right? Like she, when we meet her in this issue, she's just gotten out of jail. She's trying to reconcile with her daughter, her husband, her ex-husband doesn't want her to even be around. Um and she talks about the fact that her powers, uh, her powers are she, she can basically take anything, any kind of materials and build complex machines out of them. And she always built toys. And when she talks to like the prison psychologist and whatnot, they say, well, because she never had a childhood. Like her mom always had aspirations that her daughter, this playtime character would be this big, you know, supervillain, powerful, rich. And that's uh, so she never got a childhood. So that's why she builds toys. Um but she doesn't want that. Like her powers have only ever brought her grief. She wants to go on the straight and narrow. She wants to reconcile with her daughter. And that's kind of where she is. But, you know, she's got out of prison. So she's facing a lot of the same um, kind of real life stuff that anybody that gets out of prison does. Can't find a job, can't find a place to live and that sort of thing. So she ends up taking a job at a bar where um, it's like a supervillain bar. And what happens is kind of the, one of the main superheroes in, the, in this world, Insomniac is his name his sidekick is killed by one of the other villains and he kind of goes Plutonian. You know, if you've read irredeemable, uh, he, you know, he's like this really powerful character who all of a sudden kind of, he's always pulled his punches. He has this, um, you know, 
fantastic knowledge of the, the human body. So he knows, you know, where to hit and whatever. And they realize when one of the supervillains gets the crap beat out of them, damaged, you know, near death, that the gloves are off, right? This insomniac guy is, has lost it because his sidekick's been killed by this other villain called Stickman. And so, you know, what happens next? This woman's trying to put her supervillain past behind her, but yet because of what her past, she doesn't seem to be able to put that behind her. And meanwhile, all the other supervillains or superheroes rather are looking for this stick man, trying to find him because they're all scared. Uh, Insomniac is going to kill, you know, outright kill a supervillain or kill a, a superhero because he's totally lost it. And there's something that's mentioned throughout the story called the code. And it has to do with kind of the rules, the game that they play, right? Like it's always been accepted that supervillains don't kill superheroes superheroes don't kill supervillains superheroes help each other out supervillains help each other out there's this kind of unwritten code and uh, stickman obviously broke it so that's where the story kicks off uh, and this uh, playtime character is our pov and it's really interesting where it goes uh, like i said it really impressed me um i definitely recommend it so it's from dark horse first issue out uh go pick it up uh next up i'll talk about fantastic four we're getting down toward the end of Dan Slott's run. This is issue number 46. The art is by Kafu. Jesus Arbatov does the colors. Joe Caramagna on letters. Uh, not a whole lot to say about this issue. We do know that uh, a few issues back before the Reckoning War, um, Nathaniel Richards, Reed Richards' father, sent this holographic message saying, uh, if you're receiving this, I'm dead. Yeah, you know, I have my doubts. And even some characters in the book kind of have their doubts because Nathaniel Richards has been rumored to be dead many, many times over the years. But anyway, the message he's sending to Reed Richards is, hey, you have this half-sister on Earth, this human half-sister, um, that you never knew about. And so Reed hasn't had a chance to go and meet her and does so in this issue. So it's about bringing her into the family. It's about meeting her, kind of her perspective, how she sees Reed, how she sees the Fantastic Four. Um, and of course, it's the Fantastic Four, so hijinks ensue when he's kind of taken around to meet people supervillains show up there's battles and, and whatnot so not a whole lot in terms of consequence of this issue um other than uh you know this character joanna is her name we may see her show up in the future from time to time so definitely remember uh, a reminder that under the pen of dan slot who's going to be leaving the series soon uh fantastic four is definitely a family <laughs> family book he, he has leaned into the family aspect of uh of fantastic four the entire time uh, next up real quick uh avengers x-men eternals it's axe judgment day uh this is issue number three from writer kieran gillen valeria shitty is the artist um, Marte garcia does the colors clayton callan letter if you haven't been following this it's not um Avengers versus X-Men versus Eternals. I want to make that clear. Yes, the Eternals have tried to take out the mutants. The Avengers have sort of um, uh, aligned with them. But all of a sudden, in the midst of trying to stop uh, the Hex, which are these really powerful, nearly celestial level uh, powered uh, Eternals that the uh, Eternals sent to Krakoa to kind of destroy the island, they believe that the mutants, now that they have immortality, have become this super uber level uh, of deviance and the Eternals have always wanted to um, kind of eliminate and eliminate the deviants who are Eternals themselves, but mutated. And, you know, it's kind of this Aryan race type thing, right? Like don't allow this race to exist because they're 
um, they're too mutated and it, it pollutes the earth and, and that kind of thing. So in trying to stop this, what the uh, Avengers and uh, some of the Eternals that are against uh, what Druig, the leader of the Eternals, is doing and trying to wipe out the mutants, they teamed up. They took the Celestial that the uh, Avengers had been using as their headquarters, and they recreated a god that they thought would be kind of in their image. Uh, and they thought that this um, new Celestial that they were kind of bringing to life would uh, then stop the Hex. But instead, what this Celestial did, uh, and again, this has ha happened in previous issues. I'm not spoiling anything for this particular issue. Um what that God did when he woke up is basically said it's judgment day. Uh, I'm tired of all the fighting on, you know, earth back and forth, you know, I, cause he's got, you know, previous knowledge of, of human history. He's like, you guys don't deserve this planet. Uh, today's the day that everyone's going to be judged. So he's basically going to judge every individual on earth and then weigh it out. Right. If there's more good people than bad Earth survives. If there's more bad people than good, uh, well, I should, shouldn't the earth's going to survive regardless, but he, he may wipe out, um, you know, all beings on earth, right? Not, I won't just say humans, uh, cause mutants and, you know, and everybody. So that's where we're at with judgment day. That's where the whole title comes from. So in this issue, this God's been activated and the heroes are trying to figure out, okay, well, how do we stop this God? And there are various theories or plans to stop him. Some of them are dangerous and could have big consequences. So the Avengers, the X-Men, the Eternals, they don't all, they're all willing to team up to try to stop this God, but they're not agreeing uh, and they don't all take the same um, the same tack in trying to stop him because they don't all agree that all the, the plans, the proposed plans are worth the risks that are involved. So it's a great series. It's been really interesting so far. Um, it, it feels like a Marvel event in a way, but kind of small, especially considering the consequences, you know, like it doesn't feel like this is touching on, all of the Marvel universe in a, so much in a way, uh, but that's kind of how Marvel events have become because they're so ubiquitous now, right? It's, it's not even, Oh, it's a summer event. No, it's one event followed by another event, followed by another event when we had devil's reign. And then we had, uh, uh, what did we have? Oh, we had the reckoning war. Now we've got um, Axe judgment day. And it's like, how can you do like line wide events? If it's just one after another, you're basically forcing people to buy every single title that Marvel puts out. People just don't want to do that. So in a lot of ways, uh, these events have sort of lost their cachet in my mind. The, the shine has come off them. And I just wish, man, just tell your stories and don't do crossovers anymore. Like let it, let it be for a while. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it is, this is an interesting story. And I will also say that this, this issue, uh, issue number three has an amazing cover from Mark Brooks. That's really, really awesome. So. Uh, all right, up next, first book that Jay's going to talk about. It's uh, from one of his favorite writers. It's Be Beware the Eye of Odin. This is issue number three. It's from writer Doug Wagner. Tim Odlin is the artist, Michelle Madsen on colors, and Ed Dukeshire on letters. What do you think? Oh, it's good. Like the last issue, we knew that uh, Helga, uh, the main, uh, I guess, king, the ruler, uh, left his two friends or with him to kind of go do his own thing. He thinks he's bad luck. He doesn't want to curse him. And I, like I said, I'm not really into these like uh, troll and dark magic type of uh, books, but like I said, it was just the writers. So that's what caught my interest. This issue here is so bloody and it just like every panel was just fighting after fighting with the, with the trolls. And it's just uh, neat how, you know, uh, they all work together no matter what. And we get like a, uh, 
I guess it wasn't a surprise, but you, one of the characters, they kept questioning, you know, what she, what she was. So we get the answer to that question. And uh, it's just really good. Um, the ending's kind of kind of sad in this one, but, you know, I want to see where it goes next. So, but it's really good story. Like I said, if you like, uh, you know, warlocks and magic and um, the, uh, the realm of, um, uh, I guess, the, oh, my God, what are you thinking? Um Vikings, that's what they kind of base it on. It's really good story. And I like the artwork. The artwork is, is amazing. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Doug Wagner, he did plastic that you loved, then vinyl, which we talked about on the show, and you also loved. This one, be, Beware the Eye of Odin. At least it's, he didn't It's like wood or some other material. Um, but plastic and vinyl were both kind of, you know, d- dark and dealt with, you know, murders and, and that sort of thing. This for him to go fantasy and do like a Viking story with orcs and trolls and whatever, like it, I, I wouldn't have expected it, but it sounds like it's really good. Oh yeah. I wasn't expecting it at all. So I was like, you know what? I'm giving it a shot. I'm, I'm glad I did. <laughs> yeah. He should have called it wood though. That would have been funny. Like if he named all his uh, books, just like after materials, you know, plastic, oh, marble, yeah, yeah, wood, yeah. marble <laughs> stone. Uh, yeah. But anyway, uh, all right. <laughs> Let me move on. Uh, I'll talk about Chip Zdarsky's Public Domain. So uh, this is issue three. This is his Substack comic that is uh, also in print from Image. And it's basically about this guy who was a really uh, big time artist back in the day. Uh, but like a, a lot of artists back then, he wasn't really compensated uh, fairly. And the writer of this uh, this hero, now that the the much like in our own world, superhero movies in this world are, have become the center of pop culture, and the writer's getting all this acclaim and has all this money, and whatever. And the artist who doesn't have have the rights uh, is kind of left out in the cold. It's about him and his family, and they discover they discover that uh, he actually owns the rights to it, not not the writer, not the publishing company. Um, so it's been a, a back and forth. So. The company, the publishing company that owns the rights has, of course, been sicking all kinds of lawyers on them and what have you. And so we get uh, somewhat of a resolution in this issue uh, about who has the rights to the, the comics and the, these characters. And and uh, what happens on the last issue is a little bit of a twist. But if you know Chip Zdarsky uh, and you've read his stuff and you've been reading the series, you can kind of see it makes sense. You can't necessarily see it coming, but it really makes sense. And it was like, it had me laughing, had me chuckling to myself because this is going to turn the whole series on its head. Cause here's the thing, like, it's not just this, you know, guy, he's probably in his sixties. It's not just this, this old school artist and his wife that are uh, parts of the story, but he's got a couple of sons too, that have definitely made some mistakes in their lives along the way. Um, And so it's somewhat of a dysfunctional family. Uh, they all have their their hangups. And so, you know, if, if they get a bunch of money, what could that do to them? You know, what's the situation going to do to them? And and what is this event that happens at the end, end of this issue going to do? So uh, fathers and sons and comic rights and uh, Chip Zdarsky does it all. He writes it. He draws it. He colors it. Um, he letters it. So uh, it's definitely sort of chip on the page, uh, if you know what I mean. So I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's, it's pretty damn good. Uh, okay. Up next, Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 41. This is the long awaited uh, end of this uh, story that feels like it's been going on forever with uh, Miles traveling around the multiverse. And we know he ended up in this 
world where uh, his his clone Selim, which is mild spelled backwards, um, has uh, has been kind of ruling Brooklyn. It's kind of separated Brooklyn off from the rest of the world. So we get the resolution of that. We find out uh, if Miles makes it home. We find out um, kind of the final status, I guess you'd say, of some of these characters that are very familiar. Because not only uh, have they been traveling through space, they've also been traveling through time. It's a bit of, bit of the future here. So when we see Billy, Miles' sister, she's much older. We see Genki, who's sort of a general leading the rebellion against Selim. He's, you know, much, much older. So we see, as I said, kind of the final fate of a lot of those characters. Uh, but I'm going to be glad to see Miles get back home. And um, it, it, I talked I've, I talked when this series first kicked off, when this arc first kicked off, about how it, Miles has really been a very street-level version of spider-man you know not not to say peter parker version hasn't had some fantastical stories certainly you know he's on secret wars uh, on the beyonder planet and whatnot so he's been at in some cosmic level stories some big stories but miles not so much and so when this kicked off and he was jumping around to the multiverse it felt it it didn't it kind of didn't feel like a miles story to me because his stories have been so grounded and this one wasn't and i don't know that i liked it necessarily and i still don't know um if it really works for me, I think I need to go back and reread if I can find the time and reread it all t- together to see if it really works. But what's interesting is, is, you know, him hopping through the multiverse and being this kind of cosmic sci-fi adventure that feel feels more suited to something like the fantastic four rather than, or the Avengers rather than miles. Um, once they got to this future Brooklyn, then it did turn a little more street, right? Like he was, although, you know, it, it's kind of fighting this war, if you will, uh, it still was in Brooklyn, and it you know felt like more of the setting that um, that I'm used to seeing Miles in. So maybe on that level it worked. So like I said, I'll have to reread it and see. Um, but one thing's for sure: uh, Saladin Ahmed, who's the artist or who's the writer, uh, he always nails Miles' characterization. He's so he's so great at it. Um, and Christopher Allen, who's the current artist on the book, is is really fantastic. He's been nailing it. Um, I was sad to see Carmen Canero jump off the book to go do other things. But, uh, you know, Christopher Allen didn't miss a beat, picked it up. Um, David Curiel has been on colors for a long time. He does a fantastic job. So does Corey Petit, the letter. So uh, I am, like I said, glad that Miles is going to be back in, in the regular MCU. Curious to see what happens next. But this ended up being a, a satisfying conclusion. I'll put it that way. Uh, all right. One more book I'm going to talk about before I pass it back over to Jay. Uh, issue three of Black Flamingo. This is from writer Andrew Wheeler. Gorgeous art from Travis Moore. Also, the colors from Tamara Bonvillon are amazing. Uh, it's set in Miami, so you get a lot of kind of um, neon colors. You know, a lot of pinks and uh, blues and yellows and that and greens, that sort of thing. Aditya uh, Bidikar does the letters. This is uh, a very interesting book, definitely for mature readers. Um, and it's raising a lot of ideas of, you know, what somebody's value is, what their worth is. Um, the black flamingos is this, um, homosexual character who is a a thief, but he tries to only steal from really, really bad people. A bit of a supernatural book. There's magic in it. There's angels and demons and that sort of thing. So, um, a lot of questions to be answered again about um, value and worth and identity and 
why this black flamingo sees the world uh, the way that he does, which we get some hints about that. We get, uh, well, more than hints. It, it's basically explained a little bit of the origin of the black flamingo is, is told here. Um, and again, I don't want to give anything away, but um, it's a fantastic book. But again, for definitely for mature readers, there's a sex scene between black flamingo and a couple of different characters. Not at the same time. Uh, he, he's got two different scenes. Uh, one is uh, <laughs> a double page spread and the other one is just uh kind of a couple of panels but um yeah i want to stress that definitely for mature readers but where this book really shines is in the art by travis moore it is so gorgeous um but that's not to take anything away from andrew andrew wheeler's narrative um because the first issue i sort of felt like it wasn't real strong on plot or uh, establishing what the story was but what it did really, really well is give us an idea character-wise of who the Black Flamingo was. And then more plot, more story started coming into the second issue. Um, and now that it's been sort of established, uh, we get a little more character work along with that origin of the, the character. So it's perfectly balanced in this issue. So first issue felt a little more character heavy. Second issue felt a little more story heavy. Now, third issue, we've hit the balance perfectly and I'm fully in like i cannot wait to find out what happens next it's uh it's a lot of fun because a little bit not necessarily heisty but it is crime noir in that you know black flamingo is a thief and you know who are the bad guys that are after him who you know people that he's stolen from that um that want things back obviously and and consequences for their actions consequences for black flamingo and his history so uh it's very intriguing and there's only two issues left and I kind of wish it was going to be more, but at the same time, I'm like, well, I want the answers. So I know I'll get them in two issues. I, I basically, I guess I'm saying I want a second arc <laughs> that would definitely work for me. So, uh, okay. Up next for Jay is radiant black. We're up to issue number 17. This is from writers, Kyle Higgins and Joe Clark. Marcelo Costa is the artist. We've got Triona Farrell on colors, Becca Carey on letters. Uh, designed and edited by Michael Basudel and going to be tough not to spoil because there's some big, something big happens in this issue. Um, what do you think, Jay? You're absolutely right. Um, <clears throat> I love the writing in this because you don't know what to expect in the next issue and you think it's going to go one way, but they have a way to twist it around. To, so there goes a different direction. So what I, how you're right. I don't want to get away, but uh, we know Marshall you know, is doing uh, some work and Nathan's in the back, you know, kind of hanging in the back, but he meets another radiant. I, I can get away with that. He, he meets another radiant that uh, tells him, Hey, you got to do this and this. And if you read the panels, you see him doing stuff and you don't know why until later on, you're like, Oh my God, he, it all makes sense. The battles, it was pretty cool. Um, we find out that, you know, uh, how the power works between the two. It's just, uh, it's, it shouldn't do that, I guess, apparently, but the ending, panel kind of wraps the whole story like that's not the way it's supposed to go it's like uh oh so it's like okay so what's going to happen now i mean um are we going to have a good and bad or yeah, it's just so many questions now but it's a really really good story um i just can't believe it's on 17 it's i just felt like we just started reading the book <laughs> but you get to know the characters so well i mean we uh you know we fell in love with uh nathan because he was the the, the hero of the story but then they changed it and was marshall so we knew now we know a lot about marshall so we you know as a fan as a reader you love both characters but now you're like okay well what's going on now 
Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> yeah, and the other part of it is that um, you can always count on Radiant Black about every four issues to throw you a huge curveball. And yeah, the, 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 it's all up in the air now. Like it was already up in the air with what happens with the Radiant um, during the issue. And then they throw in that line at the end and it's like, wait, what? Um, so, but you do get the resolution at the end of 16. You know, we saw Marshall was going up against the five and they basically were kicking his butt. He was so outnumbered. So we do get the resolution of that uh, in this issue. I don't think that's spoiling uh, too much to say that. So anyway, yeah. Radiant black, fantastic. Marcelo Costa on the art. Um, the colors are amazing. So definitely recommend that. I've always recommended that all, all the massive verse books are amazing. So uh, all right. Up next, I have Captain America, Symbol of Truth from writer Tochi Onobuchi. Art is by R.B. Silva and Z. Carlos, lettered by Joe Caramagna, colors by Jesus Arbatov. This is issue number four. Um, we know there are two different Captain America titles going on right now. I'm, I'm more of a Steve Rogers fan, so I'm enjoying the Sentinel of Liberty series a little bit more than this. That's not to say this isn't good. We know that um, Sam Wilson is... Um, trying to investigate why he went to this uh, train that supposedly was um, carrying uh, some super soldier serum that had been recreated. And when him and the new Falcon busted into the train, they found a bunch of people being trafficked. Turns out those people were being experimented on. Turns out the investigation has led to uh, Wakanda because vibranium is somehow involved in this. Maybe it's going to tie in with Captain America Sentinel of Liberty with what's going on with Cap Shield over there. Um, but Sam Wilson wanted it last issue. He went and talked to Shuri. He's like, I want to go undercover in Wakanda. They're like, no, you can't do that. He did it anyway. Uh, and this issue, we see the fallout of that. Uh, bad guys are in Wakanda as well. Um, and if you're, if you're going to sneak into Wakanda and try to, um, you know, have this investigation, figure out what's going on with this vibranium and how it got stolen and whatnot, you kind of would expect to run into somebody in particular. And I'll just leave it at that. Um, but Sam Wilson feels like he's in a little bit above his head, uh, over his head. But again, that might just be my bias. I've never really cared for him that much as a character. And as the Falcon, he never really seemed like that uh, formidable of a character. I haven't read uh, before the series. I hadn't read any uh, issues of him being cap other than the United States of Captain America from Christopher Cantwell. So maybe he's kind of leveled up in a way and he's um, more formidable than I remember him. I mean, he doesn't have the super soldier serum. He doesn't have any special powers. I mean, he's just a really good fighter because cap trained him and he's got the wings. So I don't know. That's part of the reason, like, I don't like him as Cap. Like, he's not, doesn't have any superpowers. But then again, Batman, you know, can take out Darkseid and he doesn't have any powers either. But that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> so, different universe. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, real briefly, I'll touch on Wolverine Patch as well. Larry Hamas, the writer. Andrea DeVito, the penciler. LeBeau Underwood does the inks. Sebastian Chang on colors. Clayton Callen letters. Um, this is the final issue of the series. If you're not familiar with it, it basically takes place in Madripoor back in the eighties, uh, late eighties, early nineties, whenever um, the Wolverine uh, solo ongoing series first started. And Larry Hama's done a fantastic job of capturing the feel of that series. And uh, I got to give props to DeVito, the penciler who's done a fantastic job because it's a huge amount of characters. You have these mercenaries that are going after 
these Russian mutants that have escaped into Madripoor. Um, so you have these mercenaries that are going after them for the bounty. You have the Russian army going after them um, because they want to get their assets back. You also have the Madripoor military that's going after them. And then you have S.H.I.E.L.D. that's going after them, wants to capture them as well. Um, maybe not for nefarious purposes like the others, but you have all those four factions and Wolverine is dropped in the middle of it. Uh, and it's, a you know, again, it's a lot of characters and DeVito does a good job of keeping the action moving. Hama does a good job of pacing uh, and making sure to keep all these uh, different factions, uh, you know, moving forward and, and making sense on the page. So, like I said, it definitely captured the kind of the feel of the late eighties, early nineties, everything makes sense. Uh, it's a satisfying conclusion. Um, if anything, if there's I have any nitpick about the the series overall, now that it's done, it's that because there are so many characters, you get a sense of Wolverine, but it's certainly um, kind of a surface level. There's not really any character moments for Logan here. So if that's what you're looking for, and there's probably better series to read, but if you just want something that feels kind of uh, nostalgic for uh, that time in the nineties, when comics were all action and crazy art, um, then this is definitely uh, for you. Plus you get to see old school Nick Fury with the eye patch and he actually still has hair. Unlike now when he's bald and he's like the watcher's apprentice. So not the Samuel Jackson, Nick Fury, the, you know, the regular um, Nicholas Fury, the first one. So anyway, uh, Wolverine patch. I did enjoy it, uh, but again, not, not a lot of character work in the book. Uh, all right. Up next, we have the conclusion of another series. This one's from Aftershock, uh, issue number five of Bunny Mask. Uh, this is the second volume of, uh, of Bunny Mask. Jay and I have both been big fans of it throughout, um, but it can be frustrating at times because it's like watching an episode of Lost where you come out of it with more questions than answers a lot of times. That's that's not to say it's not entertaining, but yeah, here we have the conclusion of the second volume and we still have questions about the main character herself, Bunny Mask. So um, anyway, it's written by Paul Tobin. Andrea Muti is the artist, he handles the line work and colors and Taylor Esposito is the letter. So what were your thoughts on the conclusion of this, Jay? As you, like you said, it's more uh, questions than answers because from the first series, we still don't know if uh, the main uh, girl is actually who she is. It's like we still haven't, res- we don't know, we'll never know probably. Who knows? But uh, it's uh, it's kind of nice to see Tyler, you know, uh, you know, the guy that has, uh, I guess, a, a love interest with Bunny Mask and, um, oh my gosh, I just forgot her name, uh, the other girl. Uh, B. So yeah, B, yeah. B. So it's like, okay, and then um he's being chased from the last issue by the hollow. So it's fun because you know it's just yeah, the, the bunny mask, you know, he, he knows she's real. And I guess also B knows that she's real from the, the previous issue. So it's like a love triangle almost in a sense. It's what I feel like it almost came down to like a love triangle, and you know, he had a, a choice. He made his choice. I guess it was our, you know, it's 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 interesting uh, the choice that he makes. But again, at the end, you're like, ah. I mean, it's it's a fun it's a fun series. I love the story. I love the characters. But you're right. It's just like, okay, uh, are we going to have another run at this? Because I I still want to know what's going on. Yeah. The the other part of it. I mean, we do get uh, a resolution in terms of the story uh, about. The, the nothingness monster the hollow, or, yeah. Or, or, or yeah, the hollow. 
Um, cause yeah, that's, that's the thing. It's a hollow bunny mask hollow inside is, uh, the full title. So we do, we do get resolution on that. So in terms of, of those questions, um, they do get answered, but yeah, you're right. The, um, the, the love triangle aspect is still going on, uh, to some extent. So we'll have to see how that plays out uh, eventually. But I love the art though. So, Hey, <laughs> yeah. A- Andrew Moody's art is uh, fantastic. Perfectly suited for this. All right. Uh, well, next book I'm going to talk about is uh, also an Aftershock title, and it's also written by Paul Tobin. Um, and I, I just I love this book. It's so different than uh, than Bunny Mask um, and also different from um, My Date with Monsters, which Paul Tobin also did for Aftershock. So it's Calculated Man. This is issue number three. From Paul Tobin, Alberto Albuquerque does the art. If that name sounds familiar, he did Letter 44 with Charles Soule, really talented artist. Mark Englert does the colors. Taylor Esposito does the letters. The story is about a former mob accountant who, to him, he's kind of like this savant, right? Like numbers to him just make sense. Like he can, you know, weigh calculations and do formulas and everything comes naturally to him. And so he sees life and people and everything as equations, as problems to be solved. And so he knows that he'll never be allowed. His knowledge of the mob and and their uh, business dealings is too, uh, too involved and he'll never be allowed to have a normal life. And at some point he realizes that. And so he, uh, becomes uh, a witness. He goes into witness protection. He becomes um, a witness for the prosecution. And he's been in witness protection all this time. And one of the ca- main characters of the book is his handler. And now the mob has discovered him, has found him, has realizes that he's still alive and is out to get him. So what does he do? He takes matters into his own hands. Um, and he turns out he's pretty formidable as a kind of a, an assassin, right? Because he is so smart and he does think four or five steps ahead of everybody else. So it's a really great series. Uh, it's so fun to see him kind of outsmart everybody. Um, but that being said, he is vastly outnumbered. And we saw at the end of last issue, he took out uh, the son of the main mob boss. And now the mob boss uh, you know, knows that he's out there, knows he's coming after him, but also the government, also this, uh, this um, handler, realizes uh, he leaves this, he does make a mistake and he leaves his fingerprints uh, at the scene. And that has opened up this whole thing where the, the government law enforcement is pursuing him as well. So uh, everything is against him. He's like I said, very much outnumbered. He is the smartest guy in the room, uh, but can his name's Jack beans can Jack beans uh, outsmart everybody um, get the girl. Cause he finally has a girlfriend who doesn't know anything about his real life, they role play over the phone and Jack tells her she pretends she, she works in like an office or something. She just has like a everyday nine to five, but she pretends that she's a stripper and Jack tells her what he's doing. Oh, I'm killing people. Or, you know, I was a mob guy and blah, blah, blah. And she just thinks that he's role playing when he's actually telling her the truth. Um, so that's kind of interesting. And, and that's what he sort of fears the most, like uh, how is she going to react when he, tells her, Hey, I'm not role-playing. This is how it really is. You know, again, he's, he's adding up the numbers and he says that that equation is, uh, is intimidating. He doesn't, he doesn't think it can work out. So great art from Alberto Albuquerque, such a fun, fun book. Um, 
really well paced. Jack is an intriguing character. Uh, the uh, the handler is an interesting character. He's he's kind of a Danny Glover in um, in uh, Lethal Weapon type of uh, character, and that he's you know just moments away from retirement uh, and is actually training a woman to take his place as the handler for Jack when all this stuff goes down. So uh, he has a unique perspective on it, and uh, it's just a really really fun book. So. Another big hit in my mind from Aftershock. Uh, okay, up next for Jay, we have the, I can't believe we're on the eighth issue of the new volume of Amazing Spider-Man already. Uh, written by Zeb Wells, uh, John Romita Jr. is the penciler, Scott Hanna on inks, Marcio Menez on colors, Joe Caramagna on letters. Uh, what do you think of this? All I got to say, I know we're in issue eight, but it's like, I think the writer has a thing against Peter because he's always getting his butt kicked. I mean, I never see him get mauled and destroyed in a, in a short span of time in the series. <laughs> but uh, from the last issue, we know that uh, Vulture's out to get him. And man, um, this issue is nonstop action. It's brutal. It's it's amazing that he, uh, you know, that what he does to survive in this. It's just kind of cool. It's really neat. Um and Norman, of course, is uh, no surprise, but, you know, they kind of explained later on, you know, why he did what he did, because, you know, he, uh, they're supposed to be working together, apparently. But uh, this one was just brutal. <laughs> I don't know how, so Peace got to have an amazing uh, healing factor like Wolverine. That's all I got to say. Yeah, we saw last issue that Norman Osborn offered Pete a job to come work at the new Oscorp and had a new costume for Pete and everything. And Pete turned him down, obviously, years of distrust there. Um, and then last issue ended on the cliffhanger of the vulture whose, um, granddaughter, you know, found out that, uh, her, that her, you know, she knew her grandfather was the vulture, but never realized to what extent that he had murdered people and whatever. And she, she finds out about it, um, and goes and confronts her grandfather about it and basically says, I don't want anything to do with you ever again. And, and Tombs just loses it. And at the end of the last issue, he's broken Pete's web shooters and taken them as high in the air as he can and just drops them. Um, and so that was kind of the cliffhanger ended on. And there was speculation that uh, we knew Spider-Man was going to get this new costume, even though he turned down Norman Osborn well, offer to wear it and, and, uh, and take the job. And there was speculation that maybe it wasn't even Pete in the new costume, that it was uh, Norman himself. So like, uh, Jay said, we get some explanation uh, about that and we get um, Norman's uh, kind of thought process and, and who he is as a character. I go back and forth, you know, I know Norman's trying to be this good guy and I've talked a lot uh, recently, especially about um, comic companies turning their iconic villains into heroes or anti-heroes like Black Manta or certainly Green Goblin would would uh, fill that bill. Uh, Harley Quinn's another who's, you know, gone from one side all the way to the other now. I mean, she's just DC just sees her as a hero, whatever. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just worry about like, you're, you're like, it's okay to just leave them as villains. Um, but what they're doing with Norman is a little more complex. So I don't know how well it's going to work. Um, but you're right. Um, Zeb Wells definitely puts Pete through the ringer. And uh, I talked about it a lot when I talked about issue seven, about dragging this mystery of what happened six months ago out too long and how I felt like, uh, we're getting to that point. Um, I didn't necessarily, I wasn't annoyed by it this in, during this particular issue because it wasn't brought up. It's when it gets brought up and everybody's talking about, oh, Pete, you did this horrible thing, but nobody ever says what that thing is. 
it, right. bugs the, it bugs the crap out of me. So we're eight issues in. Like I said, I can't believe it's eight issues already. Um, like it's time to tell the story. It's time to either go back with a flashback and tell us what happened or have somebody explain it. Um, Cause it's starting to, as I said, even though it wasn't overt in this issue, didn't bug me. wasn't on the surface. I didn't rant about it uh, or I'm not ranting about it. Like I did when I talked about issue seven, it is time. It's time. Nick Lowe, <laughs> editor of Spider-Man. It's time. Zeb Wells. Um, don't drag it out too much. Um, and but the JR, yeah, the JR, 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 JR art. I'm just not a fan. I'm just not a fan eh. of art style. But you're right. This is all out action, and he does a good job of making it look brutal. Because you're right. Like, like how is Pete still standing? Uh, <laughs> man, he yeah, it gets the crap kicked out of him for sure. So, all right. Up next for me, uh, I can cover this one really quick. Department of Truth. Issue number 20, written by James Tynan. Martin Simmons is the artist. Aditya Bidikar on letters. Uh, this is a really great issue. So we saw last issue that um, the main character, Cole Warren, his husband is um, basically told by some operatives, I'll say, uh, the fact that Cole has killed some people. He works for the Department of Truth. Like They basically spill the beans to uh to cole's husband and leave uh, him like kind of just unknown like not knowing what to do like is this stuff true he's he's kind of reeling from this information that he's been given um so this is a great jumping on point for anybody who wants to know what's going on with department of truth because it really explains what the department of truth is what the department of lies is which is sort of the soviet um equivalent of the department of truth uh, but one thing you don't know, like it's all explained, like w- what the Department of Truth is, what the Ministry of Lies is, why they do what they do, uh, who Lee Harvey Oswald is in terms of being the director of um, the Department of Truth. But what you don't know is are these operatives, are they being objective in their telling or are they just telling this to Cole's husband in such a way that they can get him to help Cole be a double agent basically? So as with everything in Department of Truth, you, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Like, is this really the true history of the Department of Truth or is this a subjective history because they're trying to manipulate Cole ultimately? So in that way, it's really, really great. Well-paced. The art uh, by Martin Simmons, it's not my style of art. It's very um, impressionistic and it's kind of watercolor type painting. Um, but as I've always said, it suits the tone of the story that Tynan is trying to tell very, very well. So, I mean, there's a reason that everybody talks about this book. Uh, it is complex with big ideas and it's fun. And if you've talked about it or you've heard about it, but not been able to jump on because it is kind of a, a book you need to read from the beginning until now, you can jump on 20 and have an idea of, uh, of what's going on. Um, but it doesn't necessarily feel like a recap at all. So uh, again, great jumping on point if you're curious about Department of Truth. All right, last book Jay's going to talk about Avengers Forever. This is from writer Jason Aaron. Aaron Cooter does the uh, pencils. Cam Smith on inks. Grew EFX on colors. Corey Petit on letters. Um, I, is this a limited series or is it an ongoing? Because it doesn't feel like a limited series. Um. I think it's supposed to be a limit. I think 12 issues, maybe. I'm not too sure. Yeah, I thought that. I mean, that certainly was the case with the first Avengers Forever, but 
I mean, it's kind of hard to tell because I, I've talked about this before. It, like these feel like a bunch of one-of stories. So uh, I, how does it all come together if there's only three or four issues left? So anyway, what'd you think of this particular issue? Uh, it's pretty good. Like I said, just a, a team of heroes are trying to get together because I guess the multiverse is, uh, was that multiverse master of evil? I guess they're yep. trying to find different characters to the multiverse uh, to build a team to go you know, to fight. And this one, it felt like a what if issue almost like if what if uh, Thor was unworthy, like during like major battles where he had to have a, you know, he had to have a hammer, but he just wasn't allowed to. That's what it felt like. Like he was an unworthy uh, Thor. And this guy is kind of broke down, which I guess, you know, they do that with the, with our Thor, you know, in the regular universe. But it's just interesting um, how it's just him and the hammer. And, you know, he's got to figure out, you know, how, how to deal with the hammer. He has uh, kind of like a mentor kind of help him. And um, you kind of get the feeling. Um, I think it was his name. Uh, was it? Terra, yeah, of Mystic, Thunder. Kun, yeah, and uh, I guess he's a guardian of the immortal iron fist, so he was trying to, you know, I guess, train this Thor, you know, how to use his fist. But it's a fun issue, actually. It's uh, it's kind of uh, it's a little brutal what he does to get to that point, you know, to survive to beat Thor without the hammer, and it, it was kind of fun. I mean, then you kind of see, okay, they're gonna, they're, it's how it's gonna work out. But to me, it felt like a what if, you know, what if, you know, Thor couldn't use his hammer, <laughs> but it was fun. I mean, it's a standalone issue. I thought it was pretty fun. Yeah. The scenes where he's training, it kind of reminded me of Rocky four, like that montage. You can hear the music play to the background. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's pretty, yeah, it's really, really cool. And then the last page, once he sort of has become the, the iron fist in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Then the, the group of heroes. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's just a great scene. So. Uh, all right, last book I'm going to talk about in detail, Janice Vell, Captain Marvel, issue number two from writer Peter David. Juanin Ramirez is the artist, colors by Frederico Blee, letters by Ariana Mare. Uh, I talk about the first issue being super dense, and if you don't have a, a great handle on who Janice Vell is or his character history, you kind of just have to jump in and read it and hold on. I'm kind of in that boat, although I love uh, the original Captain Marvel, and Janice Vell is his son, and I've always wanted to kind of read Janice Bell, uh, I, I haven't, uh, but that's part of the reason I'm reading this. And so, yeah, we get a lot of history thrown at us. Um, and I, I myself didn't have a lot of context, but I still thought that the first issue worked. Second issue kind of puts all that behind uh, Janice Bell. It just moves forward with, okay, what, where is he at now? What is going on? And really moves the story forward uh, with a lot of momentum. So Peter David did a fantastic job. The art's gorgeous. The colors by Frederico Blee are a little darker than I would like. Um, I'd like a little bit of a brighter palette because it's, it's a cosmic story. They're out in space or whatever, um, but it's a little darker than I would like, um, but it still really, really works. There's tons of action. We get introduced to a, a character that we've seen before in uh, the Marvel Universe. She shows up here as kind of a surprise character, or at least she was a surprise to me. So I'm really liking this um, it definitely ties into previous cosmic stories in terms of the Kree and the Badoon and obviously the Skrulls and uh, Thanos is on the cover. Um, so it's not a spoiler to say, you know, Thanos shows up here as well. Um, but another character, when you're talking about Captain Marvel, other than Thanos, that uh, shows up in a lot of that real classic stuff, especially the, the Jim Starlin run is death herself. So um, 
we find out in this issue that she apparently is going to play a big role in this as well. So um, it it's doing a fantastic job of being relatively new reader friendly. You can jump on and uh, hit the ground running relatively quick within two issues, but it also does once again, make me want to go back and read um, cosmic stuff, especially cosmic stuff that's had Janice Bell in it in the past. So uh, that does it for the single issues. Let's give a rundown real quick of some other titles you might want to be on the lookout for as you hit your comic shops today. Um, so we talked about a couple of the Aftershock titles. There's a third one that's out today. Uh, we Live Age of Paladins, issue number five. I need to go back and reread the first Age of Paladins series and then get caught up on this one. I just haven't. Also, Bylines in Blood, which um, Jay and I both really, really enjoyed, has its uh, trade come out today. Uh, we also have from, um, let's see, from Boom, Grim 4 from Stephanie Phillips is out. I am behind on that. I definitely need to get caught up because Stephanie is one of my favorite writers. There's a new magic title uh, that stars the plane walker, Johnny Goldmane, uh, and also Wind from James Tynan returns from Boom, uh, issue number one of five. It's subtitled Throne in the Sky. Uh, over at Dark Horse, we've got... Uh, Shaolin Cowboy, Cruel to Be Kin, number four of seven from Jeff Darrow. Um, we've also from DC. Again, you can go listen to these on our DC Spotlight. Action Comics, number 1046. Batman Fortress, number four of eight. Batman White Knight presents Red Hood, number two of two. DC Mech, number two of six. Deathstroke Incorporated, number 12 from writer Ed Brisson. Detective Comics, number 1063. Uh, Fables number 154 of 162, which I didn't realize that uh, when Fables came back, that it was only coming back for 12 issues. But apparently that's that's the case. I mean, you wanna, that's definitely not a limited series, right? I mean, he picked up the numbering. So Fables previously ended with 150, picked up the numbering when it came back with 151, even though eight years had gone by or whatever. But to see a 154 of 162, that, that, that's just funny to me. Um, anyway, Harley Quinn number 21 with Harley Quinn in space. Uh, Justice League versus the Legion of Superheroes has its penultimate issue with number five. Uh, Olympus Rebirth, which is a one shot kind of tying into uh, Trial of the Amazons. Robin number 17, which is Joshua Williamson's last issue on the book. I thought it was the last issue of the book completely, but apparently it's just going on hiatus and it's going to come back, but with a different writer. Kind of sad. Uh, about that because i think williamson does a fantastic job with damien wayne who's not a character i really liked in the past but i like him when uh when williamson writes him we also have the end of the swamp thing series number 16 of 16 from writer rom v tales of the human target number one which was amazing such a fantastic story gorgeous art from greg smallwood and kevin mcguire uh, Raphael albuquerque and mikhail janine uh just Amazing. Can't wait for that series to come back, Human Target. Uh, Task Force Z, number 11 of 12. Only one issue of that left. Um, so some great DC comics. Go listen to the episode if you want to hear more details from uh, Image. In addition to the books that we talked about already, we have Scorch, number nine, which is the Spawn team-up book. Also, I Hate This Place, number four, is out. Deadly Class comes to an end uh, with issue number 55. Uh, from Marvel, there's a few other books. Uh, Damage Control is back with a new five-issue limited. First issue's out this week. Uh, Defenders Beyond, number two of five. We also have the Devil's Reign trade paperback, if you are curious about that series. 
and then uh, Marauders number five, and in the Star Wars corner of the DCU, Star Wars Darth Vader, uh, or MCU, Marvel, not DC. Uh, yeah. Anyway, in the Star Wars with Star Wars properties, Star Wars Darth Vader number twenty six, and Star Wars uh, Doctor Afra number twenty three, and then from Valiant Comics, we've got uh, Book of Shadows number two. Uh, I'll also mention from Titan Gun Honey. Blood of Blood, number one of four, because that title, um, people were pretty excited about the, the first volume of it. And then from Vault, there's a new series starting called End After End, number one. And we also have Blue Flame, number nine, from Christopher Cantwell. Uh, what else you got, Jay? Uh, it's the final issue of uh, Good Boy, number four, uh, Source Point Press. Uh, it's pretty much John Wick's dog being John Wick. So it's it's been fun. This is the second um, arc of the story. I, I've enjoyed it. And um, oh yeah, don't forget to get your previews. Uh, apparently, that's uh, a, a book worth picking up too. I guess this week. <laughs> yeah. So in the this month's previews catalog, there is a eight page story from Bad Idea, and um, like I don't normally pick up previews. I don't know if I'll bother to pick up a copy, but uh, like, are they selling for a lot online or something? Well, I, I'm a pull customer, so I, I pay cover price. <laughs> but uh, a lot of the uh, the people that uh the comic shop that I have, they're not gonna sell. If you're a pull customer, you get one. If you're there just to grab it and you're on the pull list, they put it to the side and say we're sold out. They're they're gonna wait till the hiatus slows down. Yeah, and they'll, they'll, gotcha. they'll put it back out. But yeah, people are selling for like 25, 30 bucks. Oh my god, that's that's insane. That's crazy. Uh yeah, yeah so I don't I don't use uh my, my comic shop. I don't even know if they order previews because they use uh this app called Comic Hub. Yeah. Um, so I order all my stuff that way. It's basically a digital previews um but you know and previews doesn't even have marvel or dc in it anymore so it's like what do you even need previews for so anyway that's gonna do it for this episode everybody again apologize that it was a day late and last week's was a week late <laughs> but hopefully we'll get back on uh we'll get back on the regular schedules uh starting next week so we appreciate the support and for you joining us as always and we'll talk to you next time thank you you can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.